to the Wagner Ministries International Podcast. As you listen to this message, our prayer is that you would be motivated and empowered to follow Christ and lead others to Him. Enjoy. God bless you, my friends. This is Evangelist Kevin Wagner, founder of Wagner Ministries International, welcoming you to our podcast today. In August 1991, a monumental event happened in our world that went, to the best of my knowledge, completely unnoticed by the media of our day. There was no fanfare, no front page headlines, no documentary about it. Hey, it didn't even get talked about on Oprah. But what happened on that August day in 1991 was something nevertheless of monumental proportions. On that August day, a ship carrying a team of missionaries from Youth with a Mission, also known as YWAM, finished their nine-day voyage by landing on tiny Pitcairn Island in the South Pacific. They sailed there with a single-minded purpose, to talk to the people of that small nation about Jesus, so that they might come to know His love and that they might be saved. With that trip to Pitcairn Island recorded in the ship's log, it was finally official. YWAM missionaries in just over 30 years of existence had taken the gospel and shared the love of Jesus Christ in every single geographical country on earth. Like I said earlier, this was truly a monumental event in the history of our world. Because of the zeal and excitement for the Lord that these people have, they achieved this monumental feat in such a short time. As you think about these events, it probably amazes you that a feat of such significance would go unnoticed, even in the Christian media. But when we take a closer look at the Bible, we realize that maybe this was God's way after all. In our last podcast, we started Acts chapter 13, and we saw the beginning of the greatest endeavor that men and women have ever been involved in, world missions. From what appeared to be a small and relatively insignificant church in the big city of Antioch came a movement, a revolution, that was to shape our world. Have you ever wondered what our life would be like if those first missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, would have started out east instead of west? It may have been China and Japan that would have been Christian nations for centuries and not us. What a thought. But Paul and Barnabas did get sent out west, and today we find out where the winds of God blew them. Let's read Acts chapter 13, verses 4 to 12. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elemas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elemas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. 
You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So Paul, Barnabas, and Mark set out. Going to for Cyprus is first isn't a surprise since Barnabas was from Cyprus, and he would have had natural contacts with the people there. One quick note before going on to verse 5. The Bible mentions that Paul and Barnabas took John along with them as their helper. In Acts chapter 12, the Bible says that John was also called Mark. This is, my friends, in fact, the same Mark who wrote one of the four Gospels which bears his name. In Colossians, Paul tells us that he was a cousin to Barnabas, and in Acts 12, you may remember that it was at his mother's house where the early believers had their week-long prayer camp out, pleading with God to release Peter from Herod's prison, which he did. So this was a pretty influential group of missionaries, Paul, Barnabas, and Mark. Three men who have left a permanent imprint on our world over 20 centuries later. Now, when this esteemed group of godly men sailed for Cyprus, they began what is called Paul's first missionary journey. The book of Acts outlines three major missionary trips that Paul went on, and this is the first and the shortest. Even though it was the shortest trek, they still traveled almost 1,000 miles on their round trip, a great distance considering that there were no planes, trains, or automobiles back then, only boats, camels, donkeys, and feet. On the west coast of Cyprus, where they first hit land, they began to preach Jesus at the town of Salamis. Now, if you travel to Salamis today, you can still see a marble pillar in the center of the city. Tradition says that this is where Paul was tied and whipped by the people of that city because he preached Jesus to them. History records that the residents of Salamis at that time were some of the most cruel, vicious, and wicked people in the known world. It's no surprise then that the Bible records no converts in that city. So Paul, Barnabas, and Mark went on. The Bible says it was in Paphos on the west side of the island that they began to see God really move. The Bible says, there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of the Lord. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. The ruler of Cyprus was a man named Sergius Paulus. And like many Roman rulers of his day, he was superstitious. Because of his superstitious weakness and fears, Sergius Paulus hired a court sorcerer. Today, we might call him a resident psychic, to forecast the future and decipher omens for him. This man's name was Alemus. Now, Alemus would have been a man steeped in the occult, under the strong control of Satan. And when he found out that his employer had invited Paul and his crew to preach Jesus to him, Elimus blew up. You see, he knew who buttered his bread. He knew that if Sergius Paulus gave his heart to Jesus, then he'd be out of a job faster than you can say false prophet. 
So Elimus stood against Paul and his friends, aggressively opposing them at every turn, trying his best to make his darkness overcome the light of Christ. But guess what? It didn't work. It didn't work because greater is he that was in Paul than he that was in that sorcerer. And friends, the Bible says that if you are a believer today, greater is he that is in you, the Holy Spirit of God, than he that is in the world. No darkness in the world can defeat you. If you don't give, in, give it a foothold in your life, because the light of Jesus is greater. So it was back then too. The Bible says, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. One quick side note. You'll notice in verse 9, the book of Acts calls Saul Paul for the first time. From this point on, we know Saul, the Jewish convert, as Paul, the Roman citizen. You see, God called Paul to be the missionary to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish world. And so a Jewish name like Saul just wouldn't do. That's why from now on, he uses the Roman variation of his name, and Saul becomes Paul. Like David, who stood boldly before Goliath on the battlefield centuries before, Paul stood up to the challenge of Elimus and let the stone fly from his sling. Verse 11 says, Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him. And he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. So the false prophet and sorcerer, who served the prince of darkness, was now going to live in darkness 24 hours a day. The Bible says that this blindness would be temporary, with the purpose of showing Elimus the error of his ways and the power of Jesus Christ. You see, my friends, that's God's heart. This is an example of God's love and grace in action. It doesn't matter how much people curse or abuse his name. God still loves them and wants more than anything for them to come to Jesus and be saved. And the Lord wanted this in Elimus' life too. We don't know for sure if those, in those, if those days in darkness made Elimus reconsider the direction of his life and who he wanted to serve. But we do know that when the Holy Spirit performed that miracle and struck Elimus blind on the spot, that miracle had a powerful effect on Sergius Paulus. The Bible says, immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Friends, here is another graphic example of a recurring theme that we've seen throughout Acts, where the miracles of God have been used by the Lord to bring people to Jesus and salvation. Remember Acts chapter 3? The Lord used Peter to heal the lame man at the gate called Beautiful, and many people saw and believed. Remember Acts chapter 8? The Lord used Philip to do many miracles, and what happened? Revival hit Samaria as people were struck by the power of God in action. And so it is here in Acts 13. 
On that first century day on the island of Cyprus, the Lord used a miracle, a supernatural working of God's power to help turn the Roman ruler's heart over to the Lord. Friends, I've encouraged you with this before, and I am going to do it again today. If you are as concerned about your unsaved friends or family members' salvation as the Bible says you ought to be, then I encourage you to pray that the Lord would do whatever it takes to break their hearts and open them up to the love of Jesus. I share this again today because this lesson shows us this truth again, that one of God's effective ways of opening up people's hearts to Jesus is by doing supernatural works of healing, signs and wonders in our lives. And if that's what it takes, then Lord, let it be and rain down your power from heaven. World missions today have been propelled forward time and time again by these supernatural workings of God. And if that's what it takes to see revival hit our churches, our communities, and our nation, then Lord, let it be. Let it be. Now you can imagine the excitement and the encouragement that Paul, Barnabas, and Mark received when they saw God use them to bring the ruler of that island to Christ. Seeing God save a man of that reputation with that sort of influence on his people would have made all the scars from the whipping in Salamis seem more than worth it. We can learn something important today from this first missionary experience and expedition. Acts 13 shows us three important approaches to God's strategy to reach the world for Christ. First, people would do the work of bringing Jesus to the world. People like you and me, you know, are responsible for this generation of souls in the world. God will not use heavenly voices. He will not use angels or miraculous sky writing to get his point across to the world. God's way of reaching the world for Jesus is by using us, people like you and me. That's why our ministry travels and shares Jesus among the nations. Because if we don't allow God to use us to reach the world for Christ, it simply won't get done. Second, the Lord's approach to world missions is simple. Start where you are and go out from there. Paul and Barnabas had just set sail from home, and the first place they hit was Cyprus, where Barnabas grew up, where he had natural points of contact. When we look at the vastness of our world and the billions of people on earth who have never even heard the name of Christ, we can easily get so overwhelmed that we simply do nothing. But that's not God's way. God's way is simple. Start where you are with the resources you have and focus your attention on those around you. When you take those first shaky and sometimes uncertain steps of obedience, watch the Lord multiply your efforts, turning them into something bigger than you ever dreamed possible. When that little boy packed his lunch, that first century morning in Israel, to go hear Jesus speak, do you actually think that little boy thought those two fish and five loaves would be used to feed 5,000 men? It's the same with us. Start simple, start where you are, and watch God multiply your efforts. When it comes to world missions, as with many endeavors, the key thing in all of this is for each of us to just start. The third method in God's strategy of world missions is that his approach is meant to be personal. When Paul and Barnabas were sent off, there was no fanfare and send-off party. 
There were no champagne bottles broken over their ship with a hearty bon voyage sung by all of Antioch. That didn't happen because it's not God's way. He didn't want a slick advertising campaign then, and he doesn't need one now. What God wants is simply one life touching another with Jesus' love. And as I reflected on this subtle biblical truth, it occurred to me that maybe that's why there wasn't a huge press conference planned on tiny Pitcairn Island all those years ago. In God's way of doing things, the applause of heaven is enough. Friends, world missions, taking the love of Jesus to every person in the world, is a thrill, a joy, and an excitement that the Lord wants each of his people to share in. Some Christians can't figure out why other Christians are so motivated to go or help someone else go halfway around the world to share Jesus with other people when there are still so many people right in their own city who need the Lord. Well, maybe this illustration will help explain. Where do you like to fish best? Where thousands of people are stepping all over each other with oftentimes the same bait in a lake heavily fished day after day for decades? Where fish are gorged with bait and most of them swim wearily or disdainfully away as bait a plenty splashes near them? From hordes of fishermen jockeying desperately for position and stumbling all over one another? Or would you prefer to fish where the terrain may be difficult? Danger may lurk in the vicinity. The lake is attainable only after sacrifice and hardship. But oh, the hungry fish. Multitudes fight and starve for even one morsel of food, and many have never so much as seen the bait you have to offer. If you prefer the latter fishing scene, that is missions. Involvement in world missions is not optional for people who call themselves Christian. It is as natural and needed for the believer as breathing. The only real questions left are, what part in world missions does God want me to play? And what part will I play? So join us as we go fishing and consider where the Lord wants you to drop your line. As always, my friends, I look so forward to our next podcast where we will move further into the book of Acts as the Holy Spirit uses his word to help us walk daily in the power of God. Have a blessed day in Jesus. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by today's message. For more information regarding Wagner Ministries International, go to wagnerministries.org. And if you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at wagnerministries.org. God bless.